things. And uh, Lord, just because we know he'll be listening to it later, we thank you for Brian and his good job and uh, just protecting him, Father, while he's working and, and away. And um, we just thank you for your hand upon his life and for your blessing and favor upon him. And, and Lord, for everyone else that's present or those that will be listening later, Father, we just thank you um, for your goodness to us, Lord. You, you have been so good to us and you've done so many things for us. And um, Lord, things that we don't even really understand yet um, that you have put in place uh, for us, even in our futures, Father. And so, Lord, we just uh, thank you uh, for good things. Um, Lord, we also pray for those who are, uh, you know, on the verge of going third phase with a foundry. And, Lord, just the, the different details and steps, doors opening for them, Lord, uh, your favor making a way for them, Father. And we just thank you for good things for them as well tonight. Lord, for anyone that may be uh, a little bit under the weather, not feeling well, we just pray healing for them, uh, speedy recovery for them. And, um, Father, tonight we just simply ask you to, uh, to please reveal your truth to us in a way that will impact our lives, renew our minds, and, and, and change us forever, Father. Uh, equipping us to do what you've created us to do and to do it more effectively. Father, our desire is to know you and our desire is to make you known uh, to others. And so help us, Father, uh, learn more about that tonight in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Um, Tonight, let's begin in uh, James chapter 3. James chapter 3, I'm, I'm going to try to deliberately not do a lot of review um, because I've got some things I really want to try to get into to show you, again, sometimes how, uh, even though we've done this so many times, how off I am sometimes in my estimate of how long it's going to take to cover material. I think I drew this up here three weeks ago thinking that we were going to get to this, okay? And, uh, and we're still not there yet, but we're going to. I just hadn't erased it. We're going to get there. Hopefully we'll get at least started on that section um, tonight. It, um, I enjoy all these classes. I have really, really thoroughly enjoyed them with you this year. It's been a different setup, a different arrangement, a, just a different feel. Every, every group's different, and this has just been a great uh, year for me so far, and I hope you've been enjoying it as well. And, um, but we are, so I enjoy all the classes, but we're, we're really about to uh, take flight. I mean, we're, we, we're fixing to get into the crux of some things that I believe um, is going to be a real, real blessing to you. So are you comfortable? Is it cold in here? Are you doing that? Cause, okay, all right. Okay. The heat is on, but we, rather than turning it up and getting it hot and then dropping it back, we're just kind of letting it build up. So anyway, I want you to be comfortable. So um, we're, we're looking at these characteristics, these attributes that, that we possess because we were created in the image and likeness of God. Things that we have the ability to do that do not exist anywhere else um, in known creation other than God and us. And um, even you know, elements of these things that, that we see in, in what we know about angels, but even then they're not on the same level or the same degree, if you will, that, that we possess. We said last week that, that God created us as a being who has a choice, and then he also gave us a voice. And, and so these two things combined together um, are very powerful. And so this, this final characteristic that we're looking at is our ability to speak. And like these other characteristics, it's one that we often take for granted as far as the impact that it has upon our lives and, and the quality of our lives. 
Um, and yet the Bible says that death and life hinge on the power of our tongue. And, and he even broke that down to how the words that we speak um, play out in our daily life and sustenance and, and food and, and, and all of these things. Um, so apart from, of course, the things that Jesus taught us about the power of our words, um, and, and then you know, when I say apart from, obviously Jesus um, brought the greatest wisdom to us, but here we have James, who is Jesus' half-brother, and what we mean by half-brother is Mary was his mother, but Joseph was James's father. And of course with Jesus, Mary was his mother, but the Holy Spirit um, was, uh, you know, fathered him. Um, so half-brother. And interestingly enough, he was not a believer in Jesus or Jesus as the Messiah until after Jesus' uh, death and then resurrection. Um, there was actually a part in the earthly ministry of Jesus where, where James and some of the other family was like outside a house. You know, it's like, would somebody go in there and get Jesus and tell him we need to see him for a moment? You know, he's uh, embarrassing us. He's acting like a nut, you know. And, um, and th that was their uh, take on it. And no doubt they were uh, receiving pressure from the religious establishment, you know, like uh, so many other people. On, on one occasion, for example, um, the Bible says that the Jews were laying in wait to kill Jesus, uh, expecting him to make a trip up to the feast. And, um, and so Jesus just hung out and didn't make the trip. And, uh, and, and so people knew it. And, and James, you know, his brothers, they told him, they said, look, why don't you just go on up there? In other words, <laughs> everybody knows there's people waiting to kill you. And his brothers were like, why don't you just go on up there and, and get it over with? You know, that was kind of their attitude. But of course, James, amen, um, having experienced uh, daily life with Jesus and then after he's born again, we have um, this uh, book in the New Testament. Now, let's begin at James chapter 3 and verse number 2. It says this, For we all stumble in many things. Amen or oh me. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. So remember, perfect doesn't mean necessarily without error or fault. It means one that's mature. A mature man, or a mature man with a womb, mature woman, able also to bridle the whole body. This word bridle is talking about control here. Now, self-control is obviously an important factor in our life. We know that it's a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, it's something that we can't produce apart from God's Spirit working in our lives. But here we see that one of the you know, key components or key factors in self-control is controlling the words that we speak. And he says again, if you can control what you say, you can control your, um, your whole body. Amen. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. That's a very important phrase. And is set on fire by hell. 
For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. All right, so um, obviously we can't go back to exactly where we were last week and start over because we were building some momentum and building a biblical case for the power of our words, the importance of our words. But here, James um, doesn't just chime in on this. He takes it places that, um, that it has not previously gone in Scripture. In that James is saying here that the words that we speak literally chart the course that our life follows. In other words, the, the, the words, and, and I want you to get this image in your heart and mind, and it's, it's that of a train, and of course trains travel on tracks, and the thing about a train is it's locked into the tracks that are out in front of it. And so the, the tracks in many ways determine you know, the course that the train goes. So with that image, I want you to begin to think then or picture the words that come out of your mouth are laying down tracks. Amen? In other words, what you speak is literally words coming out of your mouth forming two tracks in front of you that are locking you into a course or a direction. Now, in this revelation, James gives us, I mean, if, if you want to use the reference to water, fresh or salt, that's one. Then he used the reference to fire, that's two. Then he used the reference to a rudder, that's three. And then a reference to a bit or a bridle in a horse's mouth, that's four. So there's four different um, comparisons that um, James uses, again, to try and help us better connect with the power associated with and the influence or impact associated with the words that we speak. Now, let's talk about these first two. The bridle or bit in the horse's mouth and the rudder, um, you know, underneath, you know, deep under the water, underneath the bottom of a ship. And if we begin to look at what these things have um, in common with one another, um, you know, the first thing that we see is that they're both instrumental in directing the course of something or directing the path of something. Um, in the, in, of course, in the case of the bit or, you know, in the horse's mouth, um, someone riding the horse, if they want the horse to go right, they, they gently pull on the rein to the right and, and, they, and they apply pressure to that side of the horse's mouth and it causes the horse to turn in that direction. In the case of a rudder, again, this is something that's, you know, very small, uh, um, that when the governor turns the wheel, 
Um, it applies pressure. That's important. We'll come back to it in a moment. But it applies pressure because this is, I mean, I think everybody probably already knows this before I even try to say it, but in other words, how does a rudder, uh, you know, actually change the course of, of a ship? Well, it, it you know, the rudder, imagine it's straight underneath the boat and as the boat cuts through the water, but if the captain of the ship wants to turn the boat, he turns the wheel, which turns the rudder, and when he does that now, the momentum of the boat, the, the water pushing past, it begins to apply pressure as well. So we see that both of these things, the rudder and the bit, are instrumental in changing the course of something or directing the course of something. We also see that they do it by applying pressure. We also see that they do it um, from, the, from this perspective. They are both very small compared to something very big that they are directing. So large horse, little bit, large ship, small rudder. Something very small, but yet you know, almost unassuming, but it, it does indeed affect, steer, direct the course, both of the uh, ship and the horse, okay? Everybody's still with me. So he's saying then that our tongue is like this in the sense that compared to our being, our body, and all that involves us, it's very small as far as our members or the parts of our body is concerned, but in the same way that the bit in the horse's mouth or the rudder under the ship change or direct the course of the horse or the boat, the tongue in your mouth can change or alter the course of your life. Are you still with me now? I feel compelled, so let me go back for a minute. All right. We said that there is a lot of confusion, there is a lot of misunderstanding, and there is even a lot of, of uh, pushback against this doctrine. Um, religious people despise this doctrine. Um, and it's, it's been uh, maligned with you know, phrases like name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and, 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 and these sorts of things. Um, and we said that this is a surefire sign. Because who's the author of confusion? Satan is the author of confusion. So when there's confusion surrounding something, you can rest assured that the enemy is behind that confusion. And so why would he want us to be confused here? Because this is such a simple yet so profoundly powerful truth as far as what can be utilized to bring change both in our lives as well as change in things that are going on around us. And it all comes back to the words that we speak, the words that come out of our mouths. Now, let's go back to the idea of pressure being applied to change the course or to change the direction. Pressure in the side of the horse's mouth, pressure where the rudder on, under the bottom of the boat is concerned. Now, obviously, modern vessels, you know, have mechanical gears and things of this nature that, you know, when, when the wheel is turned, um, the, uh, the rudder turns and there's things in place to prevent it from snapping back into alignment. But on the older ships, when the governor or the captain 
would turn that big wheel. That's why the wheel was so big, had big handles on it, right? You've seen them on the walls of seafood restaurants and things of that nature, right? Yes? I mean, today it's a joystick on a giant cruise ship, okay? All of it's computer, mechanical, digital, all that stuff. But in those older boats, that wheel was big because, again, it was easier to get leverage on a large wheel, and it had those handles sticking out. But even then, once it was decided that we're going this way, but we want to go this way, and the captain of the ship turns that big wheel, the ship doesn't turn immediately. It's not, it's not like some sports car, you know, that's real sensitive steering, okay? So he would, you know, sometimes it would take another person to help him, and they would turn and turn and turn, applying that pressure. And then even there were ways for them to wrap a rope around that uh, wheel and tie it in that position. Because in those older boats, if the captain let off the wheel, the rudder would swing back into the course that the boat was presently traveling, and that, and that wheel would zzz and line right back up with the course. You follow what I'm saying? So he would, turn the core, he would turn the wheel and then hold it in that position until the new course was established, and then he would bring the rudder back into alignment, and they would keep sailing straight again. Again, all this may be overkill on my part, but if we're really going to understand what the Holy Spirit is saying to us here, he's saying that the words that we speak can change the course of our lives, but we have, to, we have to understand that it's through applying pressure. It's kind of back to what we said last week. You know, the man or the woman that goes to the wild one time, comes home, takes her shirt off, looks in the mirror, and is like, well, that was a waste of time. You know, no, it's, we recognize that, you know, we begin to apply pressure in a direction in our lives, and we've got to continue to apply, apply that pressure, right, until that, that change comes around and the, and the course is altered and there's a new direction established. Amen? Are you following what I'm saying here? So, you know, this idea that, well, you know, I, I tried that confession stuff, Pastor Mark, or I, you know, I started speaking the Word, and, and um, because, again, if we want our lives to line up with what the Word of God says, we've got to get the Word of God coming out of our mouths. But when we speak to a mountain and the mountain doesn't move immediately, it's not the, it's not the time to fold the tent up and go, go home or back to whatever we were doing before. But we continue to apply the pressure with the words that we speak. We continue to hold that course by continuing to say what we say. Remember, faith by its very nature is meant to operate in the face of contradiction. Did you hear me? So we, we think of faith as like, you know, if you wait till you see it to believe it, that's not faith. Faith is the evidence of things you can't see, right? So the idea then is that you chart the course by faith, by confessing the Word of God out of your mouth, and you continue to apply pressure until that changes, until you, until you see the circumstances and situations line up with, just like that ship is lining up with a new course, line up with what you're saying. All right, amen. Praise God. I would have, uh, I'd have given a lot of money if somebody explained that to me a long, long time ago. All right, now, he then talks about how um, great a forest a little fire kindles. And the idea, of course, is that um, just a small spark can lead to thousands of acres being burned. And so he says the words that we speak are like kindling. They, they set things on fire. 
Um, sometimes it's easier to look at these things from a negative perspective, but if we can understand it from the negative perspective, then we can also understand it from the positive perspective. Because remember, these characteristics can either be your best friend or your worst enemy. So the idea of it setting something on fire, um, have you ever said something <laughs> that maybe you didn't mean it the way it came out or that didn't mean it the way the person heard it, but to have something small that you said just blow up into some big issue and, uh, you know, probably none of us in here, but you probably know somebody that's had that experience. So, you know, this is what he's talking about, how something seemingly small, innocent, insignificant, yet it, it became almost like a forest fire, you know, in, in your life. So he's saying then, of course, this from a negative perspective, but in the same way, we can speak good things and it, it seems like just a little spark or, or a little ember, but you know, over time, of course, the, the, the potential is for this to bring uh, great uh, results um, in and through our lives. Now, there's one last thing, and, and we're going to build on this, all right? So let's, let's look at it as well. Um, <laughs> He said that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. And the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles, here it is again, the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature. And then this last phrase here in verse 6, and is set on fire by hell. So here's what I believe and, you know, how the devil knows these things. I believe it has to do with him being present when we were created. I believe it has to do with him understanding even perhaps better than we do that we've been created in the image and likeness of God. But your enemy understands the power of your words. He understands them better than most Christians understand them. And he is constantly trying to manipulate what you say to start fires for him. Okay? In other words, he's wanting... Remember, he doesn't have a gun to pull on you. He's trying to get you to pull your own gun and shoot your own self in the foot with it, all right? In other words, he's trying to get you to turn the power of your tongue uh, against yourself. And, and listen, you know, if this seems far-fetched for you, then maybe not so much listen to what you say. If you can't hear it in your own uh, you know, vocabulary or your own dialogue, uh, start listening to what other people say. Come on now. I promise you there's not a person in this room that at some point in your life you haven't just tore yourself apart with your words of your mouth. How stupid you are. How I can't ever do anything right. How you're just a screw up. How this, Again, where is that coming from? It's coming from the enemy. He's trying to get you to burn your own life down around yourself. Setting things on fire with the words that we speak. So let's go back to that simple statement that when God created us, He created us with a choice and a voice. This, this means that we have the potential to be very dangerous loose cannons. Do you understand a loose cannon, right? Very dangerous loose cannons with hair triggers here on planet Earth, shooting our mouths off, right? And just literally doing the devil's job for him 
by the words that we speak. Now, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, please. Acts, the second chapter. Now, any... Thank you, Jesus. We're fixing to get into some stuff here for a minute, all right? And um, if if some of what we're about to say seems far-fetched to you, um, that's okay. Yes, Acts chapter 2. That's okay. Amen. Um, My mother has a saying that, you know, a lot of times you hear something from the Word of God that you know is not from God because it, when I say from the Word of God, where somebody's preaching or teaching supposedly from the Word of God and doesn't line up with Scripture, well, obviously, you know, you just eliminate that. But then there are times that I know in my life you, you, you hear people say things and it's right there in the Bible, but it's like, man, I'm not sure about that, you know. And uh, so my mother says, you know, to put it on a shelf. And the idea is that you don't want to throw it out, but you don't want to eat it either. So you set it on a shelf, and as you continue to grow in understanding and and, in your relationship with the Lord, one of two things will happen. You'll grow to a point that you take that off the shelf and eat it, or you take it off the shelf and throw it out. All right? So potentially some of the things that I'm going to tell you tonight are going to fall into that category for some of you in the sense that it's going to be some things you've never heard before, and because you've never heard them before, you may be a bit, you know, suspicious of them. That's okay. If you can't eat it tonight, if you can't chew it up and swallow it, then don't throw it out yet. Just set it on a shelf, okay? Is that good enough? All right. So James said the tongue was set on fire with the fires of hell. In, um, in the book of Acts, of course, we know that... Um, Jesus ascends back to the Father. Um, He was, we may have explained this before, but let's just run over it real quickly again. Um, Jesus was crucified on the Feast of Passover. And of course, all that was so symbolic for all those generations. The Passover lamb, the blood on the doorpost. Jesus is the lamb of of God. Um, His blood shed for us. Remission of sins, death angel, all that other stuff, okay? Um, And so they celebrated that feast every year as an educational tool, as a, as a time of celebration, a time of remembrance, but also as a time to teach the children these things so that they would not be forgotten. And so Jesus was um, crucified on Passover. Now, he was raised from the dead three days later, and a lot of people think, you know, he made, you know, like some kind of cameo appearance and then jetted back to heaven. That's not true. He spent 40 days. 40 days after his resurrection on planet Earth in a glorified body. And primarily we see that he was teaching his disciples, his followers, things pertaining to the kingdom. And we covered this when we talked about the kingdom. Later, Paul says of those 40 days that there was... Um, he was seen by all kinds of people. It wasn't like he was squirreled away hidden. And, um, and in, on one occasion, uh, a, was seen and a, appeared before, addressed a crowd of more than 500. And so now many years later, Paul is writing about this, and he says, and a lot of those 500 are still alive to this day. If you don't believe that what I'm telling you is true, go ask them. They give you firsthand eyewitness testimony. Now, 
Timothy Keller made a very simple point about that that I should have already realized, but thank God for Timothy Keller and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that is, you can't just say something like that if it's not true. Now, see, we think that somehow in the Bible days that they were held to a lower standard. No, 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 my friend. In their days, you get your head cut off for telling crazy lies that, weren't, that couldn't be substantiated. I mean, it, was, it wasn't they had, if anything, you know, especially, my God, in our world of fake news, and, you know, you never know if you can believe what's on the front page of the newspaper anymore. Um, I worked as a 911 operator for the city of Hoover. I was right there in the middle sending police and fire to some of the, you know, biggest stories that ever happened, at least in my day, in, in, uh, in the city of Hoover. And the next morning, I'd read the newspaper, and they weren't even close. I mean, I, I say wasn't close. There was all kinds of things that they had wrong. And that's not necessarily deliberate. It's just they were doing the best they could. So the idea that somehow people's words in these days meant less than our day is wrong, okay? So you, you can't just say that um, an alien appeared to 500 people. Right? You, you, you follow what I'm saying? And if you don't believe me, just go ask them. I mean... So when he said, I'm just making that up like about our day. So, so what, not that Jesus was an alien, but I'm, you follow me. All right. So, uh, so anyway, so for 40 days. And then he ascends back to heaven. But before he goes, he tells them to go tarry in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. And the promise of the Father, of course, is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Remember John's testimony, John the Baptist, not John the Beloved, John the Baptist. He said Jesus has come to do two things for us. He's come to take away our sins, and he's come to baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Well, of course, we know that Joel had prophesied these things. David, others had spoken of this day that was going to come when God's Spirit would be poured out on all flesh. I believe that the sin had to be taken away in order for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Amen. Just saying, praise God. So Jesus tells them to go and wait for the promise of the Father. And we know that 120 took him up on his offer. Now thank God for that 120, and I'm not trying to um, in any way diminish their faithfulness or their capacity, but I want you to think about that for a moment, okay? I mean, on, in one setting, Jesus fed nearly 15,000 people. There were times that the crowds were so large, they pushed him into the ocean, he had, he, into the Sea of Galilee. He had to get in a boat, right? In other words, of all the people that Jesus touched, blessed, healed, ministered to, delivered, cast demons out of, raised their kids from the dead, all these other things that he did, uh, when it was all said and done, only 120 people were willing to take off work, get a babysitter, and go do what he, next step, right? Okay. And so that's what they did. Ten days later, this would have been 50 days from Passover. There was the Feast of Pentecost. The Feast of Pentecost was the feast 50 days after Passover. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, this is why spirit-filled believers are often referred to as Pentecostals, because the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost. All right? Now, this is... We join the story here in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues. King James Version says cloven tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. All right? So here we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, when Jesus was raised from the dead, again, we've covered this already. We'll get into it in greater detail when we explain the new birth. But let me just mention it again. When Jesus raised from the dead, they, you know, the women had seen him, Peter and John, they ran uh, you know, to the tomb. Um, Jesus gives word that he's going to you know, come and see them later. And so he comes in and he breathes on them. Literally, he breathes on them, okay? I mean, you know, it's not like symbolic or anything. I mean, he breathed on them. And he said these words, receive the Holy Ghost. Receive Holy Spirit, whichever one you prefer. Sometimes you start talking about the Holy Ghost, people get nervous. Sorry. This was when the disciples were born again. What has to happen in order for someone to be born again? Well, Jesus has to pay the penalty for the sin. He did that. You have to believe in your heart that he's the son of God. They already believe that. Many of them had already confessed that. And that God has raised him from the dead. Well, now that he's been raised from the dead, standing in front of him, guess what? They believe that now. So this is when they're born again, and this is when the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of them through the new birth. They're new creations in Christ Jesus. It's many of this same bunch that are in that upper room that now are baptized in the Holy Spirit that they had already received when they were born again. So there's a lot of people, and, and maybe none in this room, but there's a lot of people who say, Pastor Mark, I received the Holy Spirit when I was saved. And guess what? You absolutely did. Y yes, you did. You can't be saved without the Holy Ghost. And when, and when you're born again, the Holy Spirit comes, to He gives you a new spirit, and your new spirit and, and the Holy Spirit become one spirit, and Jesus said, when He comes to live inside of you, He will be inside of you forever, okay? So thank God for that. But we see now something different. And that is the baptism, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And that's what these men and women, the first 120, this is what they experienced or received in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And the first thing they did is they began to speak in other tongues, in unknown tongues, as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we also see that there was the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Now, you've got to understand, there's a feast going on in, in, in Jerusalem, and there would have been a large crowd of people there, and then in addition to there already being a large crowd of people, there is this loud wind sound that draws them to that location. What in the world was that? I don't know if you guys little kids like something that's some crazy movie. I probably watched too many Finding Bigfoot shows or something. But anyway, um, Dad, you know, was already uh, supper's over, and and um, Dad says, "Did you put your bike up?" And I went, "Oh no." He's like, "Go put it up, son." I, yes, sir. So um, went out across the driveway, and there's this, you know, wooded lot, you know, pine trees, thick. We love to play in there, but it was really thick, you know. And um, my bike, the grass, and then it went to the woods, and my bike was there in the kind of little bank. So I walked down a little bank, dark outside, right? You know, you don't like to say it when you're, when you're a boy, man, whatever, but scared, say scared. I was a little spooked anyway, you know, because my brother's no telling where he's hiding, fixing it, you know, anyway. So I'm looking, at, you know, so I get my bike, and I'm going to, you know, go put it up. As soon as I reach down to grab my bike, I mean, this 
this sound. I mean, I can't, I promise you, I can't. It was like holding my ears, right? And it, it like almost paralyzed me. I remember, yeah, okay, so I was born in 1967. This would have been mid-70s, okay? And, you know, UFOs and all that. They still talk about it today, but it, it was just different in those days, right? So, you know, as a kid, you know, I mean, just into this kind of stuff. And I'm literally, I lift my head. I remember standing there looking at the top of those pine trees into the night sky expecting any minute for the flying saucer to come out over me, right? I'm just like, you know, beam me up, Scotty. I mean, this is it, you know. I, you know, I can't run. Well, I mean, it's so loud. I mean, people are coming out of their houses. Next thing, I, I kind of come to myself and my dad's standing there beside me. He's like, what in the world is that, son? I'm like, Dad, I know. I'm glad somebody can hear it besides me, right? You know, um, it turns out never happened before, to my knowledge, never happened since. There is a huge gas line about five miles from our house going back towards John's back way into, you know, Westlake Mall area. And for some reason, they had to open that thing and bleed it. And it was, we didn't find out until days later what it was because it finally stopped. And we're like, okay, we're all still here, you know. Um, now, why am I telling that story? One, because I'm being too silly tonight. But number two, it's because it was a very loud sound like a rushing mighty wind. In other words, this wasn't like a whisper. If it was a, if it was a rushing mighty wind, it made some noise. It attracted a crowd. And, of course, they come stumbling out of that upper room speaking in unknown or other tongues. Okay, now, here's the other thing I want you to see because a lot of times we, we go straight to the unknown tongues part and we miss that there appeared to them cloven or divided tongues as of fire and one set upon each of them. Okay, now, <clears throat> imagine for a moment that you're on the committee in heaven that's responsible for advertising and marketing. And, um, and you've got to get a plan down to the art department for what's going to become the logo for this great and at long last finally outpouring of God's Spirit upon the earth. And people you know, had all these different ideas and concepts but the one that was chosen was a forked tongue on fire. Come on now, is that, would that be the symbol you would choose? You know what I'm saying? Well, <laughs> Arthur, we ought to have a big sign out front here at Heritage, you know, just a big old tongue on fire, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Because it doesn't seem like what you would expect to be the outward, tangible symbol of what just happened or what was happening in that place okay but I'm offering to you tonight the significance and that was first of all something that was cloven or divided we that may not mean much to us but remember their strict diet in those days the animals they could eat that were considered to be clean were the ones that had a cloven hoof okay so if it had a cloven hoof you could eat it if it did not have a divided or cloven hoof it was off limits so the idea that something was cloven meant it was pure, it was purified, okay? And then, of course, this idea that it's a purified tongue on fire. Come on now, a purified tongue on fire, a purified tongue on fire. Let's go back to it. What's been happening for all these years? Choice and a voice. Satan has control of the voice using men's and women's tongues 
to set this earth on fire with the fires of hell. Now the Holy Spirit has descended. He has purified the hearts and He has now purified the tongue and set it on fire so that the tongue that used to be under God's control but was lost when Adam sinned has now been returned back to God's control, the control of the Holy Spirit. God is now once again speaking through men into planet earth setting some stuff on fire for heaven amen are you seeing this so at first it just looks like this random thought why a tongue on fire a purified tongue on fire but ultimately this is you know what god is wanting to do in each one of us a purified tongue on fire okay you still with me all right let me just go ahead and address it because some people, you know, this, I know the enemy, that, that sucker, I know how he works, okay? People say, well, Pastor Mark doesn't think I'm that spiritual because I'm not filled with the Holy Spirit. Never said it. That's the devil lying to you. Get out of here. Quit, quit, devil, quit lying to people, okay? That's not what we're saying here. And let me, let me say this again. This helped me in my own life because um, <clears throat> there are many who say when a person's baptized in the Holy Spirit, that somehow that means they get more of the Holy Spirit, and that's wrong as well. There's only one Holy Spirit, and He doesn't come in segments or fractions, okay, or percentages. What we need to understand is that when a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's not that person getting more of God's Spirit, it's God's Spirit getting more of that person. Amen? Amen. It's, it's God's Spirit getting more of you. It's you surrendering to Him in a greater way. And given what we've understood up until this point about the power of the words that we speak, does it not make sense to you, if we can control our tongue, we can control our whole being, amen, that if there is a way for us to surrender control of our tongue to the Holy Spirit and let Him speak through us, that that would be a beneficial thing for our lives. Even if you don't believe it, just I'm asking you to agree in principle, if it was possible for the Holy Spirit to take the wheel, <coughs> the bridle, the bit of your life and speak through you, would that not be beneficial given the power of the words? Remember we said that whatever comes out of our mouth is going to be a, on a plate for us to eat in the future. Well, guess what? When the Holy Spirit speaks through you, <laughs> He's putting things in place in your future. He's charting the course. Again, we could, we could spend three weeks on this. I'm trying not to do that. But Romans 8 makes it very clear that when we pray in an unknown tongue that we are praying mysteries according to the will of God. We're speaking the will of God because the Holy Spirit knows the will of God and He is enabling us to do that in a language that we don't understand. Hallelujah. Okay? Alright. I I, none of this is in my notes, but I'm, just, I'm feeling compelled, so let me just say this. Alright? When it comes to unknown tongues, you know, I've, I've, uh, I, let me just give you my own background real quick, if I could, all right? I was raised Southern Baptist, and um, I was raised Southern Baptist in the, you know, I was born in 1967, okay? And I started going to Southern Baptist Church nine months before I was born, okay? So raised in church. And um, not all Southern Baptist churches are this way, especially today, but um, and they weren't necessarily that way in, in my day, but the particular Baptist church that I went to and the particular pastor that led us, 
He taught against the baptism of the Holy Spirit, taught against miracles and healing, and even went so far as to say that if you spoke in tongues, it was of the devil. Right, so that's, that was my upbringing. Um, long story short, in 1979, um, the Holy Spirit, through just divine intervention in our family's life, led us to an Assemblies of God or Pentecostal church. Okay? And, um, and I was uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit um, when uh, I was 12 years old. And um, anyways, I'm trying not to get into all my whole story, right? But what happened to me was the youth department, it was towards the end of summer, the youth department had, I did not go to camp. Um, I was, we were new at the church, didn't know anything about camp, that sort of thing. But the youth department went to camp, come back, fired up. And some of the teenagers that didn't go um, were receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit that Sunday night at church. And I'm just, I've told you before, I think I'm one of the most curious people God ever made, and I was very curious about it. So I slipped from about the fifth or sixth row up to the front row and was just watching because, again, you know, of the devil, I'm still thinking I'm more spiritual than all these other people anyway. And, uh, you know, they just don't know what they're doing. And I'll, you know, when they calm down, I'll explain it to them. No, it, it, that didn't last very long at all because it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. You know, it was, it, you know I'm like, man, there's no way this is of the devil. You know what I'm saying? Well, next thing I know, I, did, I wasn't paying any attention. Next thing I know, some of you may recognize this name, Pastor Keith Ellis. In those days, Pastor... Pastor Keith Ellis was in the choir. He had not yet gone to Ramah. He was not on staff at Gary Wearing that stuff yet. But anyway, he, he was in the choir watching me, and he slips out of the choir, comes down, sits down beside me, puts his arm around me. He never says anything to me. He just starts praying for me. And, um, and next thing I know, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, began to speak in an unknown tongue. Now, what a lot of people say is, well, we believe in that, but there's nobody in our church who has the gift of interpretation, and so therefore we don't do it. Right? <laughs> That's a nice little loophole, isn't it? Right? Okay, well, here's what you have to understand that the Bible teaches about the gift of unknown tongues. All right? It is an introductory gift of the Spirit that when you read the book of Acts, you see that every time a person, a family, or a group of people were baptized in the Holy Spirit, the initial evidence or the initial response to that was that they spoke in an unknown tongue. Um, the Bible also teaches us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, chapter 14, that with each of the gifts, there are different ministrations, administrations, or we could say applications, right? So what does that mean? Let's take the gift of unknown tongues since that's the one we're talking about tonight. What we see is it's one gift with three uses. One gift with three uses. The first one is what we see in, in, the, in the book of Acts chapter 2. Um, and that is that these people were speaking languages that they did not know and had not learned, but were known languages on planet Earth. In other words, when they came out of that upper room on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that they were declaring the wonderful works of God in languages that they had never learned, but remember what was going on in Jerusalem. There were people who were there from all these different tongues and dialects and, and Jewish people from different nations who spoke those languages, 
and they heard people that they knew were not language experts, you know, miraculously given by God the ability to speak a language that they did not know, did not understand, yet these people were hearing it um, perfectly well, right? So, diverse tongues are, are, are um, you know, different, diverse, okay, diverse um, tongues, all right? So, that's use number one, and I do know people who have been used by God in that way, all right? The, the, the next use or application for a gift of unknown tongues would be 